What just happened? What did we just witness? I'm not I'm not kidding here a bit. For like three minutes, Spain and Germany were out of the World Cup because Costa Rica and their minus five goal differential was beating Germany. That's a thing that happened in real life. Japan fell behind against a former World Cup champion again and rallied to win. What are we witnessing? The day three of the World Cup double-barreled action is as good as it gets. It keeps delivering. Every day, you're like, it can't get better, and then it does. Uh, This is, like, the most fun that soccer can be because the rules are thrown out the window, and we get Japan crazy upsets, Costa Rica maybe through for a little bit, and oh my gosh, uh, what a heart-pounding set of games. And the ones earlier were not as good, but there was still some drama, Oh, yeah, it was another great World Cup day in what has so far been a really good World Cup group stage. This is the World Cup After Dark podcast. I'm Austin Miller. He is a bit Malik. And you are not going to find a podcast that is better equipped to recap and react to absolute insanity at the World Cup as you are on this one. A bit, we are living in our zone. This is our moment. This is the After Dark soccer we were promised. Uh, We had to wait two rounds yep. of games to get there but we got it and it is this is after dark soccer this is what we live for <laughs> this is the whole point of what we do this is awesome i just spent 45 minutes giggling and also petrified that somehow some way this was all going to end up with spain and germany still going through thankfully that's not what happened because japan did beat spain 2-1 germany ended up beating costa rica 4-2 but they were behind 2-1 at one point I mean, the first half of these games was exactly kind of what we expected, just not as many goals for Germany. At halftime, Spain led Japan 1-0, Germany led Costa Rica 1-0, and you kind of thought, did I make a good decision in watching both of these games? Like, this is just going to kind of peter out into Spain and Japan going through. Excuse me, Spain and Germany going through. And then it just roared to life and didn't stop for 50 heart-pounding, salivating minutes that just made you feel all of the things. Japan rallied to score twice. Massive controversy on the second Japanese goal. Let's get to that in a second. Costa Rica somehow scored twice against Germany. I have no idea what Manuel Neuer was doing on this, either of the goals, really, but especially on the second goal. And then for that glorious three-minute stretch, they were both going out, and then Kai Havertz showed up and scored for Germany. They ended up putting the game away, but then were dependent on Spain drawing with Japan to knock Japan out and send Germany through. And that didn't happen. And somehow, admit Japan won this group by beating Spain and Germany and also losing to Costa Rica. That's a thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> even, even just you recap no. makes me dizzy. <laughs> like, I'm trying to go like, where do I, where do I even pick to start? I don't, I don't know where to start. I, I will start with this is that let's start with the outcomes first. Yeah. Japan were good. They beat two World Cup winners. They yep. came back twice. Um, did they? Were they lucky in both games? A little bit. Um, is their approach definitely asking them to survive a lot of pressure? Yes, but they did. They go top of this group. When you beat two European yep. powerhouses, you deserve it. Great. Spain, weirdly, got a good draw from this. Yeah. They are on the side of the bracket that they have Morocco in their first game. And then the winner of Portugal and Uruguay's group looming potentially as yeah. the favorite 
to meet it's in a quarterfinal like, should they get there. Looking like it'll be a matchup between Portugal and then either Serbia or Switzerland. We'll preview all of that again. I can't believe yeah. we have to do this all again tomorrow. This is going to happen again tomorrow, hopefully. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and the alternative, if Spain had won the group, was... Croatia. Croatia, and then Brazil, Brazil looming as the favorite to meet them in a quarterfinal. So, it's me, guy who thinks that the most important thing is to maximize your chances of winning a title, joking... Spain should tank. They come out of the second half, and okay, you're not going to let Japan score. But it was that flurry, right? Just yeah. Japan instantly turned on the pressure, like, let's go press them high. And Spain were like, oh, we're going to pass out of the back. And Unai Simon. What I forgot that's how they, that's how that first goal came up, is Unai Simon was just like, yeah, I'm just going to give it away. And then also made a terrible save. Just had the ball go right through his hands. Should have been able to parry it out. Yeah. I forgot that that's how that first goal happened. I get what you're saying about Spain, and there was a point where it kind of felt like, you know what, we're just going to take it. But also, there were three minutes when Spain was literally out of the World Cup. That was my next point. That's where like this all comes down to is, obviously, no one from Spain will say, and I bet you 99% of Spain believed that they were they don't want to tank to get on that side. Yep. They wanted to win. You don't want to lose to Japan, better or not. That's why, because when they when it was 2-1, they were down. It was like, okay, they're going through in second. This is good. And then Costa Rica scored twice. And that's like, those two goals were the wrench that all of this needed. Yeah. Because that was the least expected thin thing in these two games. And it made everything crazy, crazy. I just, Hansi Flick, man. Yeah. Can't play, listen. Germany scored 6xG. They put up 6xG, scored four goals, but they gave up 1.7. That's yeah. Against Costa Rica, a team that like had one shot yeah. on target in two so games. Like, so, like, at the end of the day, right, this outcome is kind of expected-ish. Nah, ah, it's maybe, not, though, because I don't think we, we thought Japan, we we don't think we Japan, thought Japan was could beat Spain. So, I, it's, not, it's not expected, I would say. But... The, the way it happened definitely was not yeah. expected at all. But my, I, I think my point was just like Costa Rica scoring through a wrench and everything. Even if we ended up at Spain getting and Japan going through, it made everything so chaotic. And to watch the teams in real time figure out what they needed was crazy. Because the way this ended is that if Spain had tied the game at two two with the Germany's win. Japan would have been out. Yeah, and, and Germany so, would have gone through. So the way it seemed right for those five minutes that Spain were out, of course the message should have been, if they were communicating in real time and we don't know, you need to score. Enriquez needs to tell us guys, you need to score. We can't go out. You need to go score. So after they went down 2-1, Spain started ratcheting up the pressure, as they should. But when Germany come back and take the lead... Is the message still to score or not to score? And that is like my big question. And I don't know. We're never going to know the answer. Yeah. I don't know what the right strategy here is. It worked out fine. But should Spain have continued to keep pressing or done what they did, whether it was intentional or not? So I think it's an interesting proposition. It's a fascinating question. And Although I will say this, if ever there was a national team manager to admit that he didn't want his team to score, it's probably Twitch streamer Luis Enrique. Still don't think it's going to happen. But I don't think the intention at any point for Spain was to not score. But I certainly think 
they didn't press as hard as had they been in a situation where they're going out. And that's just human nature, right? right? Like there's a, we saw it with France yesterday against Tunisia. When they put their guys on, there was an intensity, but there is there's a different intensity when you're going out of the World Cup and you're trying to, you know, fix that. And so I think that played into Japan's hands. And then I do think it kind of got to a point in the very, very last few minutes. I think up until stoppage time, Spain were committed to trying to score because you never know what's going to happen. Because but, if they stop trying to score, there's still some chance um, before it was, what, right. 4-2 Exactly. Whatever, that Costa Rica could have gotten that third goal yeah. to go up 3-2. And that happened late for Kai Havertz. Yeah. Once it gets to the point where, you know, Germany are very clearly going to win. And then it doesn't matter. Your result only determines where you, who you play against and who goes through. I think that brought the intensity down even another level for Spain. And that led to what we saw at the end. They weren't super committed going forward. They tried some shots from distance and Japan you know, was able to eat that up. But that was really only the last, like, five minutes or so of stoppage time. Before that, Japan were called into action, and their goalkeeper had to make some really it, impressive saves. He And he did. Danny yeah. Olmo nearly ruined all of it for Japan with that one-two that he was on the end of. And oh, I, I think you're, you're spot on that they knew at some point they were trying, and then they just didn't stop trying, but the intensity eased yep. off a bit. The other part of it is that if Spain had scored, they're suddenly opening themselves up to Japan scoring, but it wouldn't have taken them out, right? It would have yeah, just been right. them in Japan instead of them in Germany. Yeah. So scoring didn't really... Once Germany had won, they were fine, but they kind of controlled Germany's destiny. So yeah. I guess it's it's okay that they did that. It's And you're right, maybe Luis Enrique for getting second or maybe just to say I eliminated Germany either way wouldn't admit it. So let's talk about Germany. This is now the second straight World Cup that Germany goes out in the group stage. Today it was kind of out of their hands and the reason it was out of their hands is because they lost to Japan and they only drew against Spain. At the end of the day they turned the result around against Costa Rica. They took a very long route to getting the victory today. It certainly was not as clean as it should have been. It wasn't as precise as it should have been. We said yesterday Germany would come into this game with the intention of trying to win it 8-0. It didn't feel like that in the first half. They scored early, and then they just kind of didn't really get into another gear. And then all of a sudden, Costa Rica are not only just back in the game, but have a lead. Germany scored quickly, and then they kind of slowly ratcheted it back up. But they needed to be a lot more intense in this game. And then in the end, it, it you know, it didn't really end up mattering, but it did because had they somehow beaten Costa Rica by eight, they would have actually gone through ahead of Spain. So what do we make of this World Cup from Germany? That's a long way to get to that question. This is another failure for Germany, unequivocally, right? Totally. They are a footballing powerhouse. They are the second or third best footballing country of all time. And they have now exited the World Cup in the group stage two in a row after winning in 2014. That is a massive, massive failure. There's no other way around it. I think there are a lot of reasons that yep. we can attempt to unpack. I think not uh, assigning these in terms of importance, sure. but I think number one, they've been unlucky. That's part of okay. small sample sizes when it's three games. Uh, they were unlucky not specifically in this tournament, not to have scored against Japan more when they were dominant in the 70 minutes before Japan tied the game. 
Okay. Once it was 1-1, yeah, Japan deserved the win because they smashed and grabbed it, but it was impressive. But they had bad... So then my second point related to that is they were... I don't remember perfectly, but on the balance of what happened in 2018, I think they were also slightly unlucky. Okay. My next point is, okay, being unlucky is one thing, but what does that mean? They created a lot of XG chances and didn't score them. Right. So and is then it you look at it, why? Yeah. They have a striker issue. Mm-hmm. They have a striker issue. They missed Timo Werner this World Cup. They really did. And this is like maybe hindsight is twenty twenty, but Thomas Thomas Mueller is not a perfect striker. And then they took him out and put in Kai Havertz, who again is a hybrid striker attacking midfielder, but he did striker things. And look what happened. So could they have? They also looked better when they had full Krug. Like, did they miss their chances to score goals with the striker? And then, just on the note, one of our big themes of this tournament is that the strikers matter. Spain looked so much better when Alvaro Morado, Alvaro Morata is in because he gives them an him. outlet. And you yanked him. And then Japan had so much. That's not like why Japan were back in the game, but like Spain's possession is just a little less dangerous without a striker. Okay, those are all a lot of things. The last point on why this is a failure for Germany and what caused it is you see all the bad luck. It's because they give up very few chances, but the ones they give up are so big because of the way they play. Germany needs to look inside their federation and think about stop hiring ideologues and be more practical. And I like that's something to say. Of, it's reactive to say because like that they won by building an incredible system and they've always been the what they are and they're successful but you have to adapt to the to what this new modern football is i think they need to be a little more boring that's a tough thing to say hate to hear that on this podcast we never want anyone to be more boring all right we talked about germany we'll have more time to talk about spain and japan in the future because they're staying in this tournament Let's have a quick word for Costa Rica here, Amit. Uh, Considering how their World Cup started with a 7-0 thrashing at the hands of Spain, the fact that they got a win and they made it a game against Germany, I don't want to say it's a successful World Cup from Costa Rica, but they can go off the pitch with their heads held high. This was a really tough draw. It was. There wasn't a group of death this World Cup, but if there was one close, this was definitely it. And they it was certainly a group of death for Costa Rica, right? Like, was, just in the way that it was formatted. Yeah, and they got a win against the group winners. Yeah. And more than acquitted themselves. Sure, they gave up 6XG to Germany, but they were leading at some yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, come on. And yeah, I think we agree. Like, they are phasing out an old group. Yep. And the promise is there for the young group. and they're Yeah, that's the exciting the thing, right? Is it's yeah. not like you just had a group that had their last hurrah and you look over your shoulder and there's nothing there. We that's saw some of the young players put it in there. And so I think like seeing a guy like Jason Burnett, who's playing at Sunderland and who's making a name for himself in England, look, he wasn't great today when he came on. I think he was, he was a bit too rash with the ball. He tried to do too much. But there are positive signs going forward for Costa Rica, and the fact that they were able to make it to another World Cup is success for them. And the fact that they acquitted themselves, I don't know, well seems like a lot, giving up seven goals and then six XG in another game. But they did, right? Like, they did acquit themselves well. And I think they, as you said, they helped make the last hour 
insane for us because of the two goals that they scored. That threw everything into this wild, chaotic situation that made it so enjoyable. So uh, a quick round of applause to them for that. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you on Costa Rica. And the way qualifying is going to work is they are going to be the yep. top dog in CONCACAF, given that the three other teams will not have to go through it. And hopefully this can be a building point because the new generation is exciting, but outside of Bennett, most of them are domestic based. So this is a good chance for them to, they have four years to go keep getting better, keep developing, go play for bigger clubs, get more experience, um, keep building the pipeline. So they're, they're going to be really exciting. And while CONCACAF sent one team through to the round of 16 out of four, which is overall a disappointment. Yep. I think the level of CONCACAF, and this isn't going to mean anything for anyone, but I think the level of CONCACAF is important to note. Like, these are good players. These are good teams. They can hurt the top teams in Europe and Asia and South America. And I know, like, results-wise, one team out of four is not good. And it certainly was disappointing specifically for Mexico. But... It's it's not like CONCACAF is not a cakewalk. It's not it's not easy to play Costa Rica in qualifying. Okay. Also, last point on Costa Rica. Today was the prime example to anyone who's ever taken umbrage at the fact that Costa Rica plays it the way they play, because if they do try to play a more open game, that's what happens. Right. Like, yeah, I don't fault them at all. They had the perfectly fine approach. They scored the two goals. But like at two, two, when they're trying to chase a goal, like, yeah, they get sliced up because they have no pace and they have very little skill and they are just not a very good team. Yeah. That's why they don't play the way they, that's why they play the way they play. We've made it 18 minutes into this podcast and we haven't even gotten to mention that our favorite tournament ragdolls, Belgium are gone. They're out a And they went out in patently insane style as well, because Romelu Lukaku had a nightmare day. Just the worst possible. You know the the old children's book, Alexander's <laughs> No Good, Very Bad, Rotten Day, or whatever it is. Yeah, that was Romelu Lukaku off the bench today for Belgium. Belgium drew with Croatia nil nil. Morocco beat Canada two one. That ended up winning the group for Morocco and sending Croatia in second. That's what happened. Here's how it happened. Belgium played a fairly even first half with Croatia. And they kind of slowly started to tighten the screws. And even though it looked like certain players maybe didn't want to be there, they started to create chances and they all fell to Romelu Lukaku and he missed them all. Ouch. And then he was really mad after the game because he missed them all. Yeah. It's the total XG was 3.2 and they scored zero. So not great. You can call it bad luck. You can call it bad nope. finishing. It's yep. certainly both. Um, I think, given the eye test, Romelu Lukaku should have put one of those in. Yep. And the fact that he didn't is just brutal. <laughs> just a terrible way for Belgium to go out. They had lollygagged their way through two and a half games, showing no signs of interest in being in Qatar, showing all the signs of interest in infighting, being on vacation, not doing soccer things on the field. And then they created a ton of chances. And they looked better with the good number nine because Batshuayi doesn't have great chemistry with Kevin De Bruyne. And then look, when you have a bunch of good passers, 
you could create chances for a striker. And I didn't finish him. He just didn't finish him. Like, I'm not sure what more analysis there is of, uh, is of this. Croatia were fine. They created about 0.8 XG. They maybe could have had one or two, I think. They played chances. with fire here. I think yeah, they did. played they with were, fire here. Th- th- when this game, in the first half, I think it was fine. Yeah. They had the right approach. But when it was clear in the second half that one goal for Belgium sends them out, uh, they were a little too open. And it's not like Belgium were threatening them with pace. They just, like, were allowing Belgium to put balls in the back line. And credit, you know, you heard this a lot on the Fox broadcast here in the States. Josco Gvardiol, their center back, was really good. And he's going to get a lot of attention. At the same time, Romelu Lukaku got those chances. Yeah. Uh, I think to one of them, the one the rebound falls to him, you give credit to Gavardiol for he just closes out to give Lukaku not much of an angle. But the it, the goal is open. Like, ah, if he could get that in, right? But the worst oh, – actually, no. I can't rank them. They were all bad. <laughs> the worst one – is when the cross comes and it hits him in the chest and he goes the wrong way from goal. Just force it towards the goal. Ugh, it was it was terrible. And so with all of that, Belgium are now out of it. And this is the end, we assume, of the golden generation of Belgium players, right? We'll talk about Morocco here in a little bit, but I kind of want to zero in on Belgium because they are a team that I've enjoyed rooting against recently. For whatever reason, they just never... I, I don't know. I just never really liked this Belgian team. But I also think it's unfair to consider their golden generation a failure because they didn't win the World Cup. But I do think it's fair to consider the golden generation a failure, right? Like winning the World Cup is objectively hard. There's only seven countries who have ever done it. Not winning the World Cup doesn't, I don't know, there's way too many negatives in that sentence. Belgium are not a failure because they didn't win the World Cup. They're a failure because they failed to create any sort of sustained success at a major tournament. They had one good major tournament run, right, with this generation, and that was the last World Cup where they ended up in the third-place game playing a meaningless game against England for the second time in the same tournament. Yeah, I agree with you. It is hard to win a World Cup. They have been in that tier of contenders, and I think maybe we could sit here and say it was a success if they had made a final. That might have been the bar. You also look at their Euros and... They also didn't make a final, so one of those would have been nice. But then you also look, and part of it is luck. Part of it is sure. they couldn't beat the teams better than them. Like they've their golden generation was great, and they were just as good as anyone in the world. But like they ran into Italy at Euro twenty twenty and twenty eighteen, they beat Brazil, but ran into France. And like at the they have a great squad, but like. France is a little better and a little deeper. And the Belgium golden generation is magical, but like they never really had 15, 16 good players. They had eight to nine. And that's a big difference. I think in this world cup, we both circled them right off the start as a liability because of their back line. And, and then they became a liability because of their back line and also everything else and And everything else. That's what's kind of so spectacular about this is yeah. this isn't just the end of the golden generation. It's also a spectacular flame out from like a whole vibes perspective, right? 
like it's not just that Belgium are out of the World Cup and they did it. You know, they fought hard until the end. And at the end of the day, they just weren't good enough. That happens. That's what happened to Costa Rica. The end of their golden generation came because they fought super hard and they just weren't good enough. For Belgium, they didn't fight super hard and they also weren't necessarily not good enough, but they were also pretty done with being with each other, it felt like. And they were just like, you know what? This is kind of the end of the line and we're good here. Yeah, really disappointing. And they did do enough to win this game, but they also didn't. And it's part of their own bed that they made because they needed an elite number nine to finish their chances. And when they were the one of the true contenders, Romelu Lukaku was that player. And today in this tournament, he a hasn't been fit enough to be that player for them consistently, which is why they were not so good in two games. And then B today when he was on the field and all the chances went to him, he didn't finish them. Like, so he was not a world-class number nine, actually. Uh, he was bad. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to just pin it on him. It's not. It's all the things. Courtois made some mistakes in this tournament. Even though he was good at other points, he was great against Canada. But it's it's a bunch of combinations. And Roberto Martinez. He is more of an ideologue than a pragmatist. And burn them again here. So... <laughs> They're going to be left ruining this run, and it's a bummer that they don't have anything to hold on to, but, like, that's that's football. Like, it's really yeah. hard to win. And they're also now going to just go back to being a generally mediocre European team, right? Like, And yeah. that, I think, is kind of the hard thing to swallow for Belgium is they got super fortunate, and they were able to develop a lot of really good players at the same time, and that doesn't happen very often. And now they're going to be kind of scrapping around to qualify for major tournament for the World Cup. They'll probably qualify pretty easily for, for the Euro still. Let's talk very quickly about something that we didn't get to on yesterday's podcast, and it also relates to something that happened today. We recorded quickly after the Argentina-Mexico game, and we hadn't had time to check out the Mexico press conference. And you know what happened in the Mexico press conference a bit? Tata Martino confirmed that he was done as Mexico manager, not in the press conference, but at the literal moment that the referee's whistle sounded to end the game. He said, that's when my contract ended. I'm not Mexico manager anymore. Today, in the post-match press conference, I don't know if it was actually in the press conference, but either in the press conference or quickly after, Roberto Martinez confirmed that he is no longer manager of Belgium. I really appreciate these guys not taking their time to make a decision that is very clear. Not even a day. Uh... No. I, yeah, I respect it. I yeah. re- really respect Tata saying it. The second the whistle blew, I was done. And, um, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? They don't want me. And he, <laughs> I don't want and to be he, here. Yeah, they both owned, und- owned up to it. Like, the expectations are real. And they very clearly did not meet them. There's no yeah. need to pretend. And, yeah, I guess managing international soccer is hard for two guys, though specifically Tata and Roberto Martinez that had always kind of punched above their weight at the club level with some really good ideas that work. And I don't want to say they are bad international managers, but it's hard to think that the two of them, you know, they share a lot in common. Hard to think that they could have had worse cycles this World Cup. From, From four years to now, it's been bad for both of them. And I think they'll both hopefully land on their feet, but at the same time, like, they gave us a lot of entertainment. They so. did. 
They created a lot of content and most of it of the After Dark variety, which we greatly appreciate. Let's talk Morocco a bit. They end up winning this group. They do so with a 2-1 win against Canada. They kind of had to hold on at the end of this match to preserve that 2-1 result. Canada pushed. Canada also were naive again, and they gave up a really cheap first goal because Milan Moran either made a really bad pass or a really bad touch. Either way, it was not good. It led to Morocco getting an empty net to score the first. And they have been consistently good. And I think as the rounds went on, that nil-nil draw against Croatia looked better and better. They beat Belgium on the day convincingly, 2-0 in their second game. And they were good here today in a moment that I thought could have been troubling for them. Uh, I said yesterday that I thought Canada was going to win this game. And Morocco came out firing and they scored two goals quickly. And they were the better team in this game. And they got the result to show for it. And now they have won the group. And they get to play Spain. Yep. Most of that is good. The last part, not so much. <laughs> it's tough. It does uh, hurt their chance a little bit. But I'll start with uh, this. I think you, you, I, you have here in the rundown. What makes Morocco so good? And yeah. obviously we talk a lot about their two game-breaking players in yeah, Hakimi Ziyech and yep. Hakimi. But then you look at their squad and top to bottom – it's very good, and I think on talent, they may have been the second best team in this group uh, over Belgium because all of their players play in a top five league. They have two, a few players at top clubs. Ziyech is at Chelsea. Um, Hakimi's at PSG. Mazuri Rui, their left back, is at Bayern. Um, their striker is at Sevilla. Like This is a good team. And then you look at Belgium, obviously the names jump off the page a little more. De Bruyne, Hazard, Courtois. And then you they unfortunately have Alderweireld and Vertonghen. And we yeah. come back to this a lot, but they're at the Belgian league. They're not they're no longer that level. So on paper, Morocco just have a good squad. And then they are organized, they play uh soccer that complements their style because they can get their guys into space and attack. And through three games, we saw, um, you know, outside of maybe the second half against Canada, where they could have been a little more closed, very good um, understanding and discipline of what the task required. So I think they're going to watch the Japan tape um, and understand their yeah. strengths and be more than a handful for Spain. Obviously, it's Spain a, will be favored, but they have a chance. It's a super interesting round of 16 match. It is one of the most interesting ones because of the big contrast in styles and the fact that Morocco have shown that they can play at a high level. They can cause problems for high level teams. It's a really interesting round of 16 match. They are well deserving to go through and they and Japan. Now it kind of feels like are fighting to be the quote unquote dark horse of the tournament, right? Totally. Um, we will take some credit here. Uh, yeah. We did say that these two groups it. Take a look for these top two favorites. I, we said it's unlikely that all four of those teams get out, and maybe both. Um, we weren't necessarily sure between Morocco and Croatia, but we both really liked Morocco. We thought any team in that group. And we were relatively on Japan. You were uh, definitely on Japan. Yeah, as and it's funny because I love Germany. I really like them, but like they, they just... There's, there's little warning flags that they had, and Japan are... Well suited. And Japan got lucky. Not a lot of luck for Morocco, honestly. 
they were just no. very good in their win against Belgium. It set them up well in a game against Canada. And Herdman uh, got it wrong in the first half. They were too open. Again, Morocco knew that's what we want. They pounced. And then, yes, Canada actually played very well in the second half. But yeah. it was fine for Morocco. They were in very good shape. So credit full, full credit to Morocco. They really have impressed us uh, as a team. They were a perhaps candidate as a dark horse starting, but now they're they've got a really good chance. I think quickly on Canada here as we as we close the book on them at this World Cup, uh, they were good entertainment, right? They played open games, they attacked games, and I think there's this tendency to kind of say Canada had a fine World Cup. They were building experience. They were getting ready for 2026. They're going to host the World Cup, and I understand that. But also, the World Cup only happens once every four years. And so to get it as wrong as Canada did repeatedly at the World Cup, I think is frustrating. Like, yes, objectively, they probably should have gotten a better result against Belgium. They deserved a better result against Belgium. But they were way too open against Croatia, and they were way too open again today against Morocco. And part of that is due to the players that they have. But this could have been a better World Cup for Canada, and perhaps it should have been. And I think while the future is bright, and while 2026 has always been the big goal for them, I think this is a bit of a missed opportunity for them. And I don't know what type of missed opportunity it is. Like, I don't know if picking up four points and going out is that much objectively different than zero points and going out. But it certainly felt like they were capable of doing more at this World Cup, and they didn't, and that isn't just all down to luck. It's not just down to luck. Um, They were unlucky not to have beaten Belgium, but they didn't, and they missed a penalty kick, and they also didn't get enough chances and they probably shouldn't have given up a goal to not great Belgium attack. Um, And then they got it wrong against Morocco. So they had their moment, missed it. And then in a place where they just needed to be safe, they were not, not safe, but like, uh, sorry, excuse me, not Morocco, Croatia in a game where they needed to be safer and recognize the danger Croatia's midfield presented. They did not. And, it, the order of games was different. This could have gone completely differently. But yeah. the way the games went, it was over in two. And that's that's what is so disappointing. Because I think the Morocco game, like, bad first half, good second half. I, I don't really care they were out. Like, they were yeah. just, of course they were going to play hard. I we That's one of the things we like about them. But, like, to be out after two games, it's, again, it's... You don't want to delay in what's inevitable or just play to the last day. That doesn't help. And they went for it against Belgium and didn't win. But in doing so, that almost put a lot more pressure on this game and getting it wrong was compounded. So I I agree with you. It's not unlucky and they deserve to go out. But I... It's the same thing. Yeah, they could have done more. They really maybe should have expected more. And hopefully, you know, I think the messaging and the vibes will be good going forward. They have every chance of being really dangerous in 26. But um, this is also a lesson not to be super reactive and come out a different team the next time we see them or in four years, but to just understand that the World Cup isn't just uh, each game isn't just in a silo. Right. The context matters. And they got it just wrong. And I think it'll be interesting for Canada We've talked about Canada certainly more than we necessarily needed to, but it will be interesting for them because of the fact that 
heading into 26, they will have a gold cup, right? That I think they will back themselves to make a lot of noise at and potentially win. And it's probably looking like they're going to be at the 2024 Copa America, wherever and whatever it happens. There's rumblings that it might be another 16-team USA-based tourney, or it might be down here in South America and Canada will get an invite. Those will be big opportunities for them to play at major tournaments and to kind of hone that major tournament playing style because it's different than playing in right. in qualification and things like yeah. that. Yeah, that's a good point because they came on late um, yeah. to being a good team and to being a powerhouse in CONCACAF, um, and they haven't had necessarily had that experience. So right. I agree that could help yeah. them. All right, Amit, one more day of group stage action. It's tomorrow. It can't possibly give us what we've had to happen so far, can it? I don't know if we'll get the double-barreled, like, pure, uncut soccer madness, but two of these games are just so charged and ripe for, like, drama that it might make up for it anyway, and that's what we're both hoping. Yeah, so let's start in the group that will start things tomorrow, and that is Group H, where it is Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea. And tomorrow we have, 12 years later, the rematch. Ghana, Uruguay, part two. Everybody knows the story. The Luis Suarez handball. Ghana going out when it looked like they could have been World Cup semifinalists. Luis Suarez is back. He's not apologizing for what he did in 2010. He's fending off accusations that he is the devil himself. And Uruguay are under a lot of pressure because they're the only team at this World Cup that haven't scored a goal. And they have to score a goal to go through because they're going to have to win this match and still get some help from Portugal against South Korea. This is finally poised. There is so much pressure on Uruguay. They are throwing their manager under the bus in post-game press conferences. This is the moment for Ghana, right? Yes. If this is a podcast where the vibes matter, the Uruguay vibes are troubling. Yeah. Uh, very troubling. And talk about a team that's a little old in the back. Talk about a team that's throwing accusations. Uh, I'm not saying it's Belgium S. It's not, but uh, yet it's certainly in the neighborhood. Um, this this is a really big moment for this Uruguay team because I think Ghana feel like they have not a lot to lose. Like they're going to be playing with like revenge on their mind. Yeah. It's clear. It's clarity. It's clear what they're going to go out and do, and then on the field. It's funny because Ghana are not good at defending, no. but uh, Uruguay are not good at attacking. So yes. something, something's got to give. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I think a goal will make this game very, very fun, especially if it's Ghana that score yeah. first. They, I think, will be up for it because Uruguay lean conservative and Ghana don't. But there is a chance that the manager, Diego Alonso, learned the lesson of the last game and puts his best players on early. This is not a game like some of the other ones where I think you wait until halftime to make your adjustment. It's been successful for Japan. Um, we talked about should Argentina start Enzo Fernandez or not, and they did, and look, it worked. Yeah, I think this is a massive game for Arasqueta yep. and... Pelistri. And I if Pelistri is a su super sub, okay. And then this is also a big game for the strike partnership. Yeah. Uh, you would expect Nunez to go from the start because he's the guy who has more legs in him. One of Suarez and Cavani will probably pair him. 
I wouldn't be shocked that if Uruguay are still chasing a goal with like 20 minutes left, that they go to Suarez and Cavani together. Maybe three. Oh, they might go three. Suarez and Cavani together, yeah. Or Which... you run it back with Suarez and Cavani and hope that all the partnership and link up that they've had over the years comes good again. The thing I want to talk about with this group a bit is I think this group is a hidden candidate for some wackiness. Yeah. Because South Korea are very much not out of this. Totally. So if Ghana win, done. Ghana are through. Doesn't matter what happens in the other game. They go through alongside Portugal. Portugal have six points. I don't know if Portugal will rotate necessarily, but I would probably project that they're going to play Cristiano Ronaldo, and that will probably make them worse. So that's good news for South Korea. So just to throw a couple things out there for you. If Ghana and Uruguay play to a draw, Korea win by two goals, they go through, and Ghana and Uruguay are out. If Korea win by one goal and Uruguay win by one goal, Korea are going to go through because of goals. Well, that would be on goal differential. But even if Uruguay win by two and Korea win by one, Korea are going through because of goals scored. Korea are not in a terrible spot here. As long as Ghana don't win, they're going to have a chance to get out of this group. And I think that Korea can beat Portugal, particularly a not super motivated, rotated Portugal that's featuring a striker who's looking to pad his World Cup goal totals. Right. We were expecting France to be a little better than they were coming out of the gate. And it turned out that a rotated team is just uh, not all that motivated, especially if the manager puts players in unhappy positions. And let me tell you, rotated team tried to pad Ronaldo's stats seems like a team that doesn't want to be out there. So South Korea are incredibly motivated. Uh, They were probably unlucky not to get the third against Ghana. Um, They were fine in their first game. Maybe they should have been more adventurous there, but we'll see. They have it all to play for. They need a goal early. The, The longer they wait, the more trouble they're in. Getting a second goal here would be massive potentially a third but the longer you wait for that first one the more stress it gets it's similar to mexico right and i know mexico had 30 minutes for the third goal which is a scenario korea would be fine if they had 30 minutes to get a goal they needed but the more time you have to help yourself the better and it's not like portugal is going to deny you the game state you want korea could come out of the gate and like really take it to them and Portugal are dangerous in counterattacking in space. We saw in that, what, five-minute, seven-minute stretch against Ghana, it was yeah. over. It was over like that. But, like, that's when Liao is on the field. And so if he's not, and it's just Ronaldo, like, Portugal are not a great counterattacking team. Like, they're just, they're just less dangerous. So I'm not saying sell out for minute one if you're South Korea, but go for it, right? I also and- think... They should go hard early in this game because if you get Portugal down, you probably get Portugal to a point where they're like, yeah, they just kind of accept it, right? Yeah, we're fine. We're going to go through. And unless Ghana win by multiple goals or we lose by multiple goals, we're probably going to still win the group and avoid Brazil. And that's what matters. So I think this is ripe for Korea to take advantage of it early. And I think the other game is ripe to play into that. And we could have 30 really great minutes here down the stretch where Korea are looking to hang on to their result and Ghana and Uruguay are both pushing to get a result that would send them through. And that would be very good content. And I'm down for it. And I think it's going to happen. I feel really good about this group tomorrow. 
Yeah, yeah for, for a good ending. I like it. I do think that it helps Korea also to put that pressure on Ghana to win. They yeah. want that game to be open. They want Ghana the to be best open. situation for Korea is really that Uruguay are good and are winning because I they have goal. so many yeah. more goals than Uruguay. Yeah, that Uruguay are gonna would have to pile on the goals and they haven't shown themselves capable of doing that. So, like I said, I yeah. think this is gonna be a really fun group. You should tune in. Last group to break down, Amit, is kind of the same situation, right? We have Brazil going through already. They play a Cameroon team that needs to win and will be looking to spring a surprise Tunisia style against rotated Brazil. And then we've got the Serbia-Switzerland showdown. Great match for the 2018 World Cup. Politically charged match. Super intense. They're running it back, and it might be for second place. Before I get your opinions on these matches, I'm going to go back to my match simulator here that I have open. I'm going to tell you the result that sends Cameroon through. And then you're going to tell me if you think that's plausible enough that we need to talk about it, or if we just say we're talking about Serbia, Switzerland as the game. So if Cameroon beat Brazil, let's say two to one, and Serbia and Switzerland draw, that sends Cameroon through because of goals four. All right. All right. I've talked myself into it. This could be an interesting little finish too. I don't think Cameroon can hold Brazil because they can't defend, but maybe they win some crazy back and forth, stupid three, two game. Let's see. Serbia, Switzerland is still where the attention is going to be. Yeah. My, my note on that is Brazil is especially hard to project when rotated because their overall structure is just good. Um, And France, despite France being rotated, it's not like they were just like easy for Tunisia to score. It took a Wabi Kazri Golazo. Like, It's going to take some doing for Cameroon to put one on. but I And think it's also, a... it's going to take even more doing to keep Brazil from scoring a lot. Yes, because even rotated Brazil, like, the attacking talent is stupid. So, yeah. it's, just, it's a hard task for Cameroon. But I'm with you. It's plausible. It could happen. And if Costa Rica can put two on sure. Germany, right. of course Cameroon could get something. And... You're literally seeing like the best teams, even France, even Brazil, even Argentina, Spain, whoever you want, you cannot just dominate three matches for 90 minutes in a row. That's not how this works. It's impossible to do. And why not uh, turn the switch off mentally? Not saying you're giving up, but just go through the motions a little bit. So anyways, okay, I can see it happening. It'll make it fun if it does. But the other game, the big game... Switzerland have the benefit of the draw here unless Cameroon win. Take the lead, in which case yeah. it could be really and interesting. They, then both teams need to win to go through, right? Yeah. So if you're seeing trouble in the Cameroon game, that makes it more exciting, as we just talked about. But in the more likelier chance that Switzerland also have the draw, it's going to help them. I think that outcome generally helps them. Um, we saw it work for Australia, but not for the Iran of the world and the Ecuador's of the world. Yep. 538 here is telling me Switzerland. Yeah, First 538 mentioned of the podcast. Right at the end. Yeah. Switzerland, 40% to win Serbia, 31 draw 29. So yeah. it's really putting the pressure on Serbia. I think this is a little, uh, I know the draw matters. I think Serbia given through two games is more impressive than Switzerland. Yeah. I know there may be a step slower, but they're attacking movements and build-up and their stuff in the box is really good. Ed Mitrovic has been unlucky at finishing. You could say bad, perhaps, through two games, but 
if Serbia play this there, if both teams play the way they've been playing, Serbia should get more chances. Is this a Sheridan Shakiri game for Switzerland? Yeah, you need someone. Even if you don't start him, you need someone in a tense game. If there's lots of space to be dangerous, to get a Golazo, have a moment. He should be good on set pieces. When he's motivated, he can play really good passes and theoretically should be very motivated for this game given what we saw in 2018 between these two teams, right? Yeah. Also, despite all of this really good days of soccer, no red cards. Yeah, we've seen one the whole tournament. Wayne Hennessy. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I got my eye circled on this one. (laughs) I got my eye circled on Odawai Ghana. Oh, that's good too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anytime Granite Shaka's in a big game, uh, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> he, he, could fly- <laughs> he could be flying in to a, a challenge here. Um, no, it's going to be really fun. Uh, I, I think Serbia is a little underrated, but I can understand why Switzerland's the favorite. The draw helps. I will note, just back on the other group, Ghana, again, being undervalued by the machines, which is fine. Uh, yep. 16% to win. Uruguay, 60% to win. That's way too high. If you have seen any of the last two games, yeah. that's just wrong. Yeah. Um, but outcomes are different from predictions, so whatever. We'll yeah. see what happens. Uh, I'm hoping for fun. Uh, you've convinced me on Korea, making it fun. Uh, I'm less convinced on Cameroon, but you never know. I think Cameroon can make it fun for a little bit, Right. but I just... Don't think I buy Cameroon's ability to hold on to any sort of result that they get. And so if they're going to win, it's going to have to be some stupid 4-3, 3-2 type thing, which could happen. Right. But they they got into a Brazil, 3-3 against Serbia. Right? Yeah, Brazil are a lot better defensively than Serbia are. Yes. And Brazil are a lot better attacking than Serbia are. So yeah. I don't think it's great looks for Cameroon, but you never know. We'll see. All right. One big thing to close out this podcast. It was going to be about Tata Martino, but we already talked about him. I want to talk about what it's like, and we don't have any experience with this, but what it's like in those moments. Do you want to know what you need to go through? Should you know what you need to go through? Can that create false passivity? Can that create, like, what's the approach to this? Right. And this is a really good question because there are different ways to do it. Um, We both uh, talked about an article on The Athletic from Felipe Cardenas, an American writer. Um, who was at the Mexico game, but then wrote mm-hmm. about both. And what Mexico said, their players said, is that they did not know the score, which you have. To, um, we're going to take that at face value that they didn't. Right. The bench said we were encouraging them the whole game to keep going. And they said, going in, we knew 3-0 is what we needed to get through. They scored two. We had to push to get the third. They knew about the yellow card situation because going in, it was in Poland's favor. So they were in their mind set on the third. And that generally held up, and they didn't get it. Quickly, it's a lot. The yellow card situation for Mexico, it's harder when you're the team that already has more of them, right? Like, Right. So they There's knew. not a whole lot you can do. You just try not to get any more. But the other team is probably going to know as well. Yeah. And that's what Poland knew, right? Yes. And so they perhaps didn't know, but they were well-informed, which I think is one way to do it. Poland did it that their coach and their technical director knew, but were communicating it to the players in real time. Yeah. Um, I think 
And then there's Tunisia, who their whole bench was watching the yeah, game. <laughs> it just and it didn't really it matter because their results right. they just knew do what you can, you need help. So it, yeah. it wasn't necessarily informing their it's strategy. A, kind of a different scenario when you don't control like Tunisia had no control over the situation. They could have beat France 10-0 and would have still gone out with the Australia result. Right. So it's it's obviously a different situation and it makes for great visuals yeah. when all the players are better I, on the phone. Yes, yes. I think the extra layer of managing a game to the result and reacting to not only your game, but the other game is really tricky. Yeah. And today's Spain whole mess is a good example. Why? Because you can be someone me, like when you go down two one, be like, lose the game. That'll help you. Oh, Costa Rica's up. Oh, do you change? Oh, now we have to score. Oh, Germany scored. Now we don't need to score is should you be making four changes in real time right and there are people i think i would lean in this camp to yes you should always be managing towards the best outcome as much as possible but that might be too complicated and then you're making it hard i don't think you need i I don't think you want to burden your players with that right right? you you want to make it as simple as possible so i kind of like what uh tata's uh, group did or them saying that they didn't know but they had an idea of what to do beforehand but what if something goes crazy and you need to change everything yeah so i think actually very quickly on this i think i actually buy that mexico didn't know because what happened when saudi arabia scored mexico was like crap we needed three nil they scored. We're oh, done. Yeah. And Tata was literally on the side. So obviously somebody on Mexico knew the result. And you have to have it. You have to. Because there can be a situation where you need to change your approach. And Tata, again, there wasn't a whole lot of time left of the game. But was making the signal, hey, we only need one more. We only need one more. It doesn't matter that they scored. We still just need one more goal. So I actually buy that that was what Mexico right. had to do. And I think that was the proper approach, right? Yeah. Because. They knew going in three 0 puts us in a really good sh- a really good spot because that gives us the maximum amount of chances to go through regardless of what you know dependent on the other results that broadens our horizons and, and makes it more so it's super interesting and we'll get one more chance at it tomorrow and then admit I'm sorry to tell you but knockout round football is coming which is good but also kind of sad because they're not going to play like this in the knockout round yeah this is the peak of entertainment for the on the field product this these round of games so enjoy it enjoy it because it won't be the same way all right this has been the world cup after dark we will be back tomorrow to break down the last day of the group stage and then we're going to preview the round of 16 because there's no break in between friday the group stage ends and on saturday it's a double a mid austin double header because the u.s plays first and argentina plays next so be sure to come back tomorrow and check out tomorrow's show thanks for listening as always Bye bye